Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I, simp- I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Our responsive psalm comes from um, 116, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the present of presence of all his people. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you can leave your your copy of the Bible open there to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Um, Maybe a little word of explanation. It's the new year. You'd think we'd be in like chapter 1 of something instead of chapter 10. Well, um, you may have seen already in the the bulletin worship tools, um, Dave, Deb, Nancy, and I will be traveling the next two weeks or so. And I'll be gone two Sundays, so Ken Wiest and Rich McCarroll will be here those two morning Lord's Days. Doug Gent will be covering the evening uh, in a little study through Colossians. Um, I thought I should, shouldn't start something and entice you and then leave you for two weeks and then start back up. So uh, we'll launch into a new something um, come the end of January, and it'll be almost... Easter is very early this year, and uh, we're going to begin heading toward the cross uh, in our thinking very soon when, I, when we get to February. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll move in that direction. But what a great way to begin the new year at the Lord's table. And I thought it'd be a good time to do a little reflection on what that is. It is the, the Lord's table, what newness uh, is as we come to the table. The new year is often a time of, of reflection. 
um, thoughtful about the past year, hopeful about the year ahead. And those are good, good ponderings, good thinkings. There are the times when we get our journals out, right? And we look back over the last year, oh, look how many I missed. <laughs> um, but then you have those significant entries, oh, oh, I forgot all about that one. Uh, and then others that you wish you could forget. But those entries that are there. And, and helping us to know, well, how do we go forward? The, the new year is really more of a of civic, social holiday, isn't it? Mostly. I mean, try, try to find... Now, Anne probably could. She's the, the gifted church musician. For me, to try to find hymns and songs that, you know, very clearly and directly go with New Year, like you do for Christmas and Advent and Epiphany, a little more challenging. Um, God of our fathers, I, I don't know. Time keeps on ticking. Oh, that. Uh, um. and, and even in the scriptures, you know, think of the New Testament. There's not much about the new year. Even in the old, there's not a lot, but it is significant. When we walked through Exodus last year, maybe you remember that when God took Israel out of Egypt and he made them a people, formed them as a people, they, they celebrated Passover. And it was that time when, when God went through Egypt and um, brought judgment upon those who weren't covered in the Passover lamb blood. They didn't have it on their door frames, on the posts. They didn't believe the word of God that he was going to come and judge. And so they didn't act upon his word and weren't covered in the blood. And so they lost their firstborn within the home. Those covered in the blood were passed over uh, by that death angel, the angel of the Lord. And there was redemption, there was salvation in that household. That happened on the first month of their year. God, God said, this is now going to be the first month for you. This is the beginning of your year. And on the seventh day, you will celebrate this Passover. You'll select the lamb and then you will, you will have the Passover meal. And then maybe you, maybe you remember a little bit further down in, in Exodus when the tabernacle, the tent dwelling worship place of God was finally completed. It was, it was opened up on the first day of the second year. So that, that's as much theological emphasis on New Year, I think, as we're going to get. But it is significant, isn't it? It is, it is, it is the beginning, the formation of God's people. And we re reorient our lives around his works of salvation. Not, not just a calendar. We reorient our lives around the works of God, his word of salvation. And, and so the Passover meal is the basis on which Jesus then came and with his disciples, the end of his ministry in the upper room, and he, he has the, the Passover with them, his last supper with them before the crucifixion. And he turns that old covenant Passover meal into something different. He turns it into a new covenant meal 
his body and his blood. Not a lamb. His body, his blood. Now, it, it, is, it is, you know, footnote here. We, we do not celebrate Passover. We're, most of us in the room are not uh, of Jewish descent. That's not our culture. It's not our society. It's not our tradition. And even religiously, we don't become Jews that we must celebrate Passover. But Jesus gave us a new meal nonetheless. He gave us a new covenant meal, replacing the old one. When the old is gone, the new is come. And we have a new covenant meal. This bread and this cup, the fruit of the vine. Now in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul introduces the concept of the Lord's Supper to the church. And he just kind of mentions it really here as illustration for another truth point he's trying to get across. Um, if we do a quick scan through 1 Corinthians, he begins uh, talking about the, the disunity that there is within that particular church body, the local church. Um, divisions over who, who's the best teacher, their, their, their best radio personality that they listen to, the best podcasts and all those kinds of things. They're, they're divided over who, who they're going to follow, their best theological figure. He says that ought not be at all within the local experience, expression of the body of Christ. But because of the division, and even though it was over Bible teaching, it, it led to disunity and impurity. Now, when we begin to, when we begin to fall apart communally, we begin to fall apart in our view and understanding of the church, we will fall apart morally, ethically. Where there isn't church unity, there cannot be purity. And it will be applied in many different ways. In, in this context for the church in Corinth, they, they really did struggle with overt idolatry. And they're not that far removed from the Old Testament days in, in that even this, the general cultures and societies of the nations understood that eating together is religious. It has spiritual significance. So even when they would go to a pagan temple and shrine, it involved eating. Eating things that had been sacrificed to the idols. It also involved other things physically that would be impure, inappropriate relationships that were supposedly sanctified unto the gods. Now, that's the direct application that Paul's dealing with in Corinth. But the principle is they've been divided in terms of a people, a, a body of Christ, and it's enabled them to be loosey-goosey on the purity side of life. The way you envision, the way you conceptualize worship will, shall we say, flesh itself out in the way we live. Now, Paul will come again to the teaching on the Lord's Supper. Usually we would read from 1 Corinthians 11 when we think of this. But, We'll, we'll stay with these few verses here in, in chapter 10. 
notice in, in verses 16 and 17 in particular, there's a, there's a few, a few um, helpful insights as to what's going on when we come to the table. One is that this is a table of blessing. Blessing. We read from the Psalm 116, the, the cup of blessing, uh, the cup of salvation. Here, Jesus referred, or Paul refers to something called the cup of blessing. It's a technical term. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a, one translation says, communion? Is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? And that is where we get this term communion when we talk about the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. And it really is simply the word koinonia, fellowship. We fellowship in the blood of Jesus. I know that sounds a little strange, but the cup of blessing is a technical term that Jesus gave um, in reference to this, this new meal that he's creating. The cup of blessing was the last cup in the Passover ceremony. And they've come to the end of the meal and then Jesus says, okay, it's done. That old meal's gone. Now this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. This cup is the cup of blessing. And this is the one that Jesus shared with his disciples as the new covenant. This is the one that Paul refers to as the cup of blessing. And it's a blessing both ways, right? The cup of blessing that we bless. We receive the blessing and we, and we give the blessing. It's reciprocal. It's a relationship. Now later in verse 21, he's specifically going to say this is the cup of the Lord cup of the Lord. And so the blessing is the Lord's blessing. The Lord's blessing to and for his people. Are you blessed? I, I recognized lately actually, and I finally overtly said it uh, last night. We were praying before, before the meal, and, and I was kind of covering the kids in general, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, and say, Lord, bless them and bless them and and then few families blessed i realized i'm getting off off just a thanksgiving for the for the meal that's coming in so i had to stop and i said i i have been saying bless a lot haven't i lately they you know they're they're pleasant with me they just listen you know don't critique or accuse they're very gracious and we we will do that even the phrase god be with you it is, it's, it's fraught with meaning. Um, the Lord be with you is very, well, you be victorious. Live as a conqueror. That's what is given to David as he goes out to fight Goliath. The Lord be with you. Right? Um, God bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. We, we can use those terms uh, and phrases simply, you know, formulaic without, without really even thinking or to fill in because I don't know what else to say. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, intercedes for us when we don't know what to say. Praise God. 
He knows exactly how to bless you when I don't. Your loved ones don't. They're praying, God bless you and keep you. And God will for his people. He will. He's promised he will. And this is the visual of his promise. This is a tangible, concrete expression of his promise that he will keep you and bless you. Now our songs uh, of praise and prayer this morning have, have focused on this, this blessing of grace. Um, in thinking about what to, to speak today, one place that my mind and heart has gone in recent months is, is that virtue of grace, that perfection of God, grace. And that's our name. And what does it mean for us to be a, a culture of grace? So I suspect that'll be some things we'll be thinking about and talking about in the year 2024, of, of intentionally living out a culture of grace. And, and again, it's one of those terms that, what does it mean? It can mean almost anything we want it to. It fills in the gaps. But here, here is, I'll go to Ephesians 1 and went to Ephesians 2, but the same phrase repeats here. Um, I'm tempted to read this whole section. I don't know. How am I doing? No. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed. That's, that's how I got here. The cup of blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Do you see the reciprocal relationship? Bless God because He's blessed us. What a beautiful thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're, you're lacking nothing. Nothing. He has blessed you with every possible, conceivable, from an infinite mind of God, spiritual blessing. And he goes listing on, on some of these things. Verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ according to the purpose of His will. And here's that phrase, to the praise of His glorious grace. It is the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. Grace is that, that source of all spiritual blessing. And then, and then he goes on in verse 7, verse 11, verse 13, this significant phrase, in him, in Christ. In him, three times, well, it's more than three, but these are three really stand out within, within the structure of the verses. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Him, verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. And verse 13, in Him also, and he 
goes off talking about how you received it through the gospel. But in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In him you have redemption. In him you have an inheritance. In him you have the sealing presence of the Holy Spirit. Now that, that really ought to resonate with the people that had been adopted into the family of God. These are his promises to us. These are his provisions for us. And, and in the wake of 2023 and in the scope of 2024 we have everything we need and more to the glorious praise of his grace. He's blessed us and so we bless him. This is the cup of blessing. This table is the reminder tangible reminder of us for all the promises of God that are yes in Jesus Christ. It is uh, the place of blessing. And verse 16 goes on to say it is the place of fellowship with Christ. We've mentioned this. This participation, this communion, this fellowship with Christ. God instituted this meal. The church didn't. Men didn't. God instituted this meal. This is his meal. And Jesus has set the table. And you come at his invitation. Maybe you've received some invitations for those holiday parties. Friends, you have an invitation to come to the table of the Lord. And that, that is significant. You, know, you think of the Old Testament. Who gets to eat at the king's table? This is the table of the king. There's a, there's a quaint little restaurant in Wapaka, Wisconsin, where um, Nancy's family's heritage goes back to, to some extent, the king's table is the name of this little restaurant. We we'll always like to go eat at the king's table and get pancakes. Don't know if Jesus will serve pancakes, but he does serve wafers of bread, right? Covered with milk and honey. I don't know. He sets a table before us. You're invited to come to the table as one of his children adopted into his family, given an inheritance. And at the king's table, you one day will rule and reign with him. Live in this victory. So in, in our tradition, we understand that when we come, we share this meal at the Lord's table. It's a, it's a remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's a memorial, yes, indeed. But m no less than that, but more than that, it's also a communion. It's a participation with Christ. It's a fellowship with Christ. Christ is present. No, not the way that some of the Roman Catholic would say that the bread turns into the body of Jesus or that the, blood, that the cup 
a wine turns into the blood of Jesus. No, 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 none of that. I mean, Jesus, think of this. Jesus is standing right there in front of the disciples. His body is there. His blood is still coursing through his veins. And he says, this is, the, this is my body as he breaks the bread. What do you think? He means it symbolically, right? I mean, he's, he's standing right there. His body and blood is right there. No, he doesn't mean that it's some magic thing that he turned the bread into something corporeal or whatever. But we, 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 shouldn't, we shouldn't neglect the reality that he said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And, and he is particularly with us when we dwell in his word and when we dwell at his table. These are the mediated presence of Christ for us. And what a blessing that we enjoy these, this union, this union with Christ. We share in Christ himself. Now, just for homework, you could go to John chapter 15 and read about the vine and the branches. And, and consider that, that the fruit of the vine of which we drink comes from the vine that's engrafted into the branch or however which whatever way it goes the branch into the vine it, it, from union with Christ comes this this blessed grace of Christ well it, it is it is a place where we share with believers verse 17 um, actually applies this body of Christ to you and me. We are the body. Interesting. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We together are the body. When the church gathers together, there's something unique, there's something distinct, there's something special that happens when we gather together and you, we eat together. Very difficult to eat when we're not together. We eat when we're together. And indeed, this, this was a meal. And he goes into chapter 11 and explains the whole problem that some of them were, got there early from, out of work and, and others got late out of work. And those, those that were there early started eating first. And those that got there late, you know, got the leftovers. And some were drinking a little too much communion juice. And were a little tipsy by the time the latecomers arrived. Now, that's a whole different way of thinking about communion, isn't it? But they ate together. It was a meal that they shared together. We, we get the hors d'oeuvres, which is okay and fine as far as it goes. But we miss the import that this is something we do when we're together and we eat and dwell. And the bread represents, among several other things, this, this unity. You know, consider the bread, just, just briefly. We make it out of flour, which is ground grain of some kind or another. 
which comes from a stalk which had been planted by seed into the ground. Well, you put the flour and oil and water and, and, and yeast together and mix it and it's this emulsified dough. Like, can, now when you have, you know, really hearty whole grains, I suppose you can say, oh, there, look, there's, there's a grain of wheat and oh, there's a, a little grain of rye. But mostly it's all mixed together, really ground up, and you really don't distinguish, oh, there's Todd, and oh, there's Nancy. You know? We become one in the body of Christ. But from the one loaf, then, we each take a portion. And it represents the unity that we have as one loaf, one body. And it's all kind of built in the whole process of how bread is made. The whole picture is one of death, burial, and resurrection. Paul picks up on this. Paul, when he considers bread, um, thinks about Jesus. Who Remember, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life who comes down from heaven. John chapter 6. And then, and then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection, he uses the seed as an analogy. He says... Uh, what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. When the seed goes into the ground, it's buried, and it dies. And from it, life comes. And that life then is the fruit that brings life to you. Death, burial, and resurrection is all represented in the way plants grow. And particularly by the time we get the bread. That's the image. Death, burial, and resurrection. The cup is much the same way. Wine goes through a very similar kind of death, burial, and resurrection. That fermentation process is built into the symbols that, that Jesus chose to use to reveal his work to us. And God is gracious and bountiful. You know, in, in Matthew's Gospel, he has two recordings of feeding, one the 5,000, the other the 4,000. And in both cases, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, they distribute to all the 5,000 men plus women and children and they have 12 basketfuls left over. One for each of the disciples, figuratively, right? And then he feeds the 4,000, and they have seven baskets of leftovers. Seven, you know, the perfect number of completion. Like, he, he supplies all that we could ever imagine or need. Why do we worry? Why are we anxious about 2024? Why are we anxious about tomorrow? Oh, because I'm flying to a country far, far away. <laughs> He's given us all that we need. And so the, when, when we share, we have leftovers. We have juice left over and we have bread left over. And that's good because God is a big God. And God's resources are immeasurable and infinite. 
And it reminds us, oh, there's room for more people to come. When you see, when you see that there's, and some of you get the opportunity to actually see, you know, phys, you know count how many, how many pieces of bread are left, how much cups are left. And, but it's a reminder to us, okay, we can invite more people to come to the banqueting table, to be adopted into the family of God. This reminds us of our mission to go and to make disciples. This meal, this meal. And it's ever expanding, ever expanding. Do I have time for this one? No. <laughs> oh ye, oh what a hopeful person. Okay, we'll try to find a middle ground. Do you remember in Exodus and the Passover that they were to make this bread without leaven? And, and we, we walked through that and the, the whole picture there was hurry up. You got to get out quick. You don't have time for it to leaven and rise. Make it, make quick bread and get out. I love quick bread, don't you? I learned that most of the quick breads I like actually do have some kind of leaven in them. I was thinking they're all unleavened, but they're not. That's another story. When we, when we come to the New Testament, there is, there is a reality and a truth that Jesus does use leaven to teach about the sin of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy. It looks bountiful and big and beautiful, but it's nothing to it. But when Paul uses the idea of leaven in the Corinthians, he's talking about He's talking about people. People. The impurities of people who have forgotten about worship. The priorities of worship, the purities of worship, and their lives then have gone amok. They might look bright and shiny on the outside, but impurity marks their soul. And he says that leaven is to be put out. It doesn't mean that we are limited to only unleavened bread. In fact, I would argue the other way. For think of the parable that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that expands. It grows. And me not being Jewish or Israeli, being a hoi polloi, being a Gentile, being one of the nations, and not even a good one like most of you. I'm from a pagan Viking place. But God has invited me, of all people, to come to his banqueting table. And his banner over me is love. The nations are invited, and the loaf is ever expanding and it too in symbol reminds us that the nations are included in the blessings and benefits of God's salvation. It brings joy to our hearts that we're here. And it brings a motivation in our hearts to go and bring in the nations. Some thoughts um, on this, the Lord's table.
Shall we pray? Indeed, Father, we thank you for these uh, words uh, that are here. These words that envision for us all that you are for us in Christ. Now as we turn to the table and uh, as we mark this new year beginning with worship and being reminded of all of your benefits to us, may now this be a moment of renewal for us, of recommitment, but not a pulling up of our own selves by our bootstraps, but a resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ, which is emblemized here. And the giving of his body, the giving of his blood, all of grace for your glory. Amen.